Good morning. You guys can hear me here? Good. Nice. Uh, great to be here. So this is take number two uh, for, for us, so that's good. Um, morning went pretty smoothly anyhow, so that was good. Um, yeah, before we begin, uh, so there is no children's church, as Daniel mentioned to me, but um, I thought it was pretty cool because we had Daniel and we had Aiden leading children's church, and I just think two young guys doing that. I know when I was their age, I wasn't, wasn't doing anything like that, so I think that's pretty awesome to have two young men doing that. Um, a lot of us, when we come to church, um, we don't necessarily know what goes on in the background. And there's probably, just so you guys know, there's 15 people that were here early this morning um, that stayed through the first service, here through the second service that are making things click. And so um, I'm very grateful for that. I think that they deserve a lot of praise and, and maybe they don't get it often. So I just want to give them a round of applause for that because, yeah, they... They are working double hard now after we've gone to two services, which I really like. Uh, for my family, we have a young boy, Henry, and um, you know, going to the early morning service makes it a lot easier in our family. So I know that they are making a sacrifice to make my life more comfortable. And so I, I very much appreciate that. And so, um, you know, worship was awesome this morning. You guys did a great job. Um, I think first service, I was a little bit more nervous, so I didn't really get to listen much to, to worship, but I listened a little bit more now, and it was really good. I, I was, it was super awesome. So, um, yeah, it was, it was really good. And, you know, I'm just very thankful uh, to be able to, to gather as a body. Um, you know, obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world in Ukraine um, where that's not possible for them. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm extra thankful this morning uh, to be able to join everyone here uh, in freedom with no fear of uh, any sort of repercussions, and I think that's just a very big blessing that we have um, in the church today. And so, so yesterday, uh, Joanna and I, we took Henry swimming. Uh, we went to a pool last night, and I ran into a couple that I grew up with um, back home in Regina, and um, started talking with them, and I actually went to Africa with them about 10 years ago, and so I told them that I was preaching uh, today, and so they, they remind me of this time I was preaching in Africa, so I preached at a couple different churches there. And I was, I was preaching, and then I started in the middle of the sermon, I said, make your life count. And I said very emphatically, and I had a translator who translated in the native tongue there, and then I said it again, I said, make your life count. And he did it again, and I went on. And after the sermon, um, Tim and Krista is their name, they said, yeah, like, it was a good sermon, you know, but there's, you know, he made a really strong emphasis in the middle about making your life count. And what happened is I actually totally forgot where I was at during my sermon, so I said something that was, you know, generically something good and i made it very impactful so that i could try to you know buy enough time to remember what i was saying so if you guys hear me clapping and saying something you're like i'm not sure if that fits but it's probably a decent point it means that i've lost my place and so um hopefully that doesn't happen today but we'll see so anyhow let me introduce myself i'm taylor so if you guys um haven't met me before there's a number of people that are that look new to me i'm obviously not the pastor dallas is the pastor but he's away right now so i'm just filling in for him today and we've been going through 40 days of prayer. And today I'm going to be preaching on the five dimensions of the prayer. And let me just preface this with saying that there's not only five dimensions or five ways to pray. pray. These are just five tools, hopefully, that you guys can put in your tool belt that will help make your prayer life more enjoyable. And that's been the goal of every sermon that's been preached during this 40 days of prayer. Our goal here is to have the Rock Church, everyone included, have robust, enjoyable prayer lives. Because I think if the Rock Church is known as a, a praying church, we'll also be a very impactful church. Now, there's sometimes a tendency for congregants to look at the person preaching and think that they've got that subject nailed. Now, of course, I do not. Um, I think if I asked anyone here, how's your prayer life, they'd say, well, it could be better. And that's true, right? Um, even if you pray 23 hours a day, you probably still haven't prayed enough. 
And um, I'm not even sure if that's really a humble statement anymore because, of course, it's a given. We all could pray more. But I think a better question is, is your prayer life enjoyable? Because that's a yes or no question. And so if you take a minute just to stop and think what you're praying about, it reveals a lot about ourselves and our relationship to God. Prayer works as a thermometer to gauge our spiritual life. And I would say if your prayer life is not solid or if your prayer life is categorized as praying a little bit before a meal and maybe two to three minutes before you go to bed, and that's how it's been consistently for the last however many years, I would argue that perhaps your relationship with Christ isn't that solid either. Because I said prayer reflects what's going on in our heart. And so I want everyone in this church to have a solid relationship with Christ. I think everyone does. I want this, the Rock Church to have its congregants love Jesus with all their heart, soul, and mind. And so when we go through this 40 days of prayer, it's a way to increase our prayer life, but to increase our relationship with Jesus. Now, asked this in the first service, and no one got it. And my father-in-law will be watching, and he's a physicist, so he should probably get this. But does anyone know how many dimensions exist? Who said, who said something? What did you say? I think you said 10. There's, there's a lot. Yes. So, so what I read on Wikipedia, the source of truth, is that there is 10 different dimensions. And the people in the first service, I'm very disappointed in you because I gave you the answer. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Anyhow, there's 10 different dimensions theoretically. The first four I can grasp. So there's length, height, depth. And the fourth one is time. Dimensions 5, 10 are, are very complex that I don't quite understand. But if the physical life theoretically carries 10 dimensions, what do you think the spiritual life carries? If the one who made physics, chemistry, biology, the things that make up the dimensions of our world, wouldn't the creator of those dimensions or those building blocks be even more complex and more multidimensional? So here's truth number one. God is multidimensional. Now, I'm going to go through three points that prove God's multidimensional nature. Point number one, we see it in creation. Romans 1.20 says this, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Everyone is without excuse. Creation points to God's glory and his goodness. There was an article a few years ago published in Time Magazine in the science section. And it said, the title of it was, Why There Are No Atheists at the Grand Canyon. Now, it's a pretty broad sweeping title. And to be fair, those who are deeply religious and deeply not religious often don't move far from that baseline. But what they did is they subject a number, a different group of people to different images. And some of the images were to inspire awe, give you that, that experience of awe and wonder, while the other images different, didn't. And when they went and showed a random set of numbers to those different groups of people, the people who experienced that experience or saw the scenery and, and had experience of awe often attributed these, these numbers to a human behind it as opposed to the other people who thought it was computer generated. So what they went on to say is that when people come up in awe-inspiring scenery or experience that emotion of awe, they more likely attribute that thing to a supernatural power than not. Of course, Christians would say, yeah, we, we understand that because we see it in creation. But even the non-believer would have a sense in them that would say, there's more to life than this. They feel small. And it's not hard to go up to the mountains and feel a sense of smallness and wonder and feel as if, yeah, there's something more here. 
So that's point number one. We see that God is multidimensional in creation. Point number two, we see the multidimensional nature of Yahweh God in the incarnation of Jesus. The word became human and made his home among us. Now the term home actually is translated tabernacle. So the word became human and tabernacled among us. And that should take you back to the Old Testament when God's presence was in the tabernacle. So he tabernacled, he made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is same yesterday, today, and forever. So what does that mean? Kind of seems like two competing statements there. Well, what this is telling us is that Jesus is not bound by space or time. He created the 10 dimensions and he's above the 10 dimensions. Everything was created by him and for him. And he rules supreme over all creation. Point number three, we see the multidimensional nature of Yahweh in the spirit, in the way the Holy Spirit moves. John says this in, in John three, the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the spirit. And this was in the discourse with Nicodemus when he was telling that Nicodemus, he must be born again. And Nicodemus was says, well, I'm an old man. My mom's old. How can I you know, get born again? And Jesus said, no, 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 you're missing the point. The spirit brings new life in you. And just as we're familiar in Saskatchewan when it's windy, we don't know where that wind starts. We don't know where that wind ends, and we don't know where it's going. The Holy Spirit, we can't box him in. He's multidimensional. He's complex. And so what does this mean practically that God, and when I say God, I mean the Trinity, is multidimensional? It's probably not an earth-shattering statement for any of you guys to hear me say that. Well, what this means is that because of God's multidimensional nature, we are never alone. As David said in Psalm 139, where could I go to escape from you? Where could I ever get away from your presence? If I went up to heaven, you'd be there. If I lay down in the world of the dead, you'd be there. If I flew way beyond the east or lived the farthest place to the west, you'd be there too. To lead me, you'd be there too. To help me, I could ask the darkness to hide me, but even darkness isn't dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. So now that you know this, how is this going to help you pray? Well, for one, it should signal that your prayer life should be dynamic. And what do I mean by dynamic? I mean, there isn't one way to pray. It should be different, praying about different things, searching different aspects of God, praying scripture, meditating, worshiping. I used to think a number of years ago, you know, like, why, why do we have music in church? And I realized that music is just another way of praying. Some of the lyrics that were up there is what we want to pray. And it's easy to pray with, with music. And we're going to sing a song at the end. And it says, we love you, Jesus. And that can either be an affirmation that, yeah, we do. Or it can be a cry that, man, we want to love you, Jesus. And so worship is an awesome way to pray. So this list I'm going to give you, these five dimensions, is no way exhaustive. It's no way the only five ways that you can pray. But hopefully, as I said, it's a tool in your tool belt to help you pray more enjoyable prayers, more passionate prayers, and more effective prayers. So point number one. Look backwards to the cross. Look to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Don't be complacent with it. If you've been a Christian and have been for some time, it's easy to hear the gospel story and have it just roll off of you. It's easy to hear what Jesus did, and that doesn't really make an impact on you because you've heard it so many times. But this is not an overstatement to say. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is literally the most important event in all of human history. It trumps anything absolutely anything more impactful, more effective, more awe-inspiring than any other event that has ever happened in the history of the world. And I don't think that any non-Christian could actually argue that point either. 
Not only has every Christian been influenced by this, so roughly 3 billion people on the earth today, but every non-Christian has as well. Today's date is February 27th, 2022. What does that mean? 2022 years after the birth of Jesus. Everyone's reference for time is pointed back to a single event in Jesus's birth. Hospitals were founded by people who took the command of Jesus seriously to look after the poor and sick. Much of our Western democracy, our values in which our society is built on, is built upon the life and death of Jesus, his morality and what he did. I read a book once, and I think it was by Ray Ortland, it said, when children became people, which is a funny statement, because before Jesus, children were not looked upon as having value. And we see this in the Gospels when all the kids are all over Jesus and they're playing with him. The disciples are, are, are scolding the parents and say, get him away, get him away. And Jesus says, no, 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 bring the kids to me, bring them to me. And in fact, if you don't have a nature like one of these kids, you cannot enter the kingdom. And he ascribed such value to children. And since that point, that's where we have started to put value on children. It's crazy. San Francisco is named after St. Francis of Assisi, a wonderful saint. Sacramento is named after the sacrament or the Lord's Supper. Saskatoon, named after a berry. So we're not quite there. We got a little bit of work to do. But you get the point. I guess God made the berry, right? So we can claim something. Anyhow, Colossians 1, 21 to 22. This includes you who were once far away from God. You are his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. You and I were at one point separated from God because of our actions, our attitudes, and the life we willingly lived. In the Gospel of John, it says that the light came, but the people rejected the light because they loved the darkness. And that includes all of us. Unless God first called you and first opened your eyes to see your sin and his glory and his goodness, we would all still be in that state. Even though you and I were separated from God, God did something to bring us back. And that was the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because Jesus died in our place for our sins and took our guilt that we were fully deserving of and stood in our place of punishment of that just wrath that we deserve, we stand completely justified before the Father. We stand blameless, innocent, holy, without a fault. That is, yeah, hallelujah is right. That is amazing. I could literally preach on that the rest of the sermon, but I won't. But next time you guys go to pray, ponder that. Think about that. You and I were far off. We were rebels. We wanted nothing to do with God. And God brought us in. And it happened for all of us Christians at a different point in our lives. Some people, it was young. I was talking to Stephen. He said it took 53 years for God to break through, but he did. And amen to that. Point number two, look upwards to my father's loving face. So Colossians just told us the good news, right? Gave us the gospel. Listen to what Romans says. You should not act like cowering, fearful slaves since God's spirit has adopted you as children into God's family. Instead, by his spirit, we simply cry out, Abba, Father. And God's spirit affirms that we really are his children. And since we are now God's child, we are also heirs with Christ. And we will share in both his sufferings and his glory. We have now been adopted into God's family. We are God's very own children. How does, this, how does God want us to refer to him as? Abba, Father. And what Abba 
more directly translates to is daddy. That's how God wants you to refer to him. Right now, Henry, my little boy, says dada. He says dada. He says dada about everything, but sometimes he looks at me and says dada. And it brings me great joy. Do you think it would bring God great joy if we looked at him and said, dad, dada? And why? Why would that bring him joy? Well, the same reason it brings me joy, because it means that he trusts me. It means that he's comfortable with me. It means that he loves me. What parent wants their children to be an arm's length away? What parent doesn't want to spend time with their child? Doesn't want them to come close and to talk to them about the things that are on their mind? Every parent does. So why would he be any different? If you are a Christian, I want you to hear this. Though you may be repulsed by you, God isn't. He genuinely likes you. Genuinely. And he is 100% for you. Because as we read above, we are children, we are heirs of Christ, and as Paul said to the people of Colossae, holy, blameless, without a fault. So here's three points to that. Make your prayers personal. Try this week to approach the Father with an attitude that he actually likes you and wants to spend time with you. Even when you fail miserably and sin, he still wants you to come to him. In fact, if you feel like you shouldn't go to him, that is what the devil is doing to you. That's not God. You sinned against God. God is the only one that can forgive that sin. So go to the solution, not away from it. He wants you to come to him in all your sin and all your dirtiness. As Pastor Dallas uh, quoted A.W. Tozer a few weeks ago, he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So try this week, every time you start your prayers, say, Father or Dad, or if you're so mature in your faith, Daddy because that's what it actually translates to. Point number two, make your prayers passionate. Passion shows purpose. Have a purpose when you go to pray. And I'm not saying every time you go to pray, treating him like he's a vending machine. Should you ask for a new job or a promotion or get a vehicle or a spouse or a child? Yeah, those are great things. For healing for sickness, healing for relationships. Yeah, bring every single need and every single want you have before God. But also be passionate about getting God himself. Go to him. Go and be passionate about meeting God face to face. I guarantee you that's a prayer he will want to answer. Just as if Henry came to me and said, Dad, I want to spend time with you, I would drop everything I was doing to spend time with him. Be passionate about being passionate about God and don't quit until you feel that you are. Just like that widow in the story of Luke who continually went to the unjust judge for her justice day in and day out and wore that judge down. Do the same with God. He's not an unjust judge. He's a good, good father. Point number three, your prayers are in partnership with God. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We often don't know how to pray as we should. The Spirit wells up prayers within us to pray the, gods that, pray the prayers that God himself would pray. And I find this as a great comfort. I find this as a great comfort in times of difficulty and tragedy when I actually don't have the words to say. I trust that the Spirit is interceding on my behalf, praying the prayers that I and whatever I'm praying want to pray about those people need. I sit there and silence and trust that the spirit is praying on my behalf. Point number three, I look inwards to Jesus living in me. Here's another truth. Jesus dwells in you. Galatians 2.20 says this, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart and received him, he entered your life. Now, if Jesus is in you and you're a Christian, that means that you are unconditionally accepted by the father. 
It gives you freedom to be completely honest with your shortcomings and your failures. Does anyone here think that they could be better? Anyone feel like they just don't match up? Yeah, join the club. 2 Corinthians 13 says this, examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Test, your, test yourself. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is in you. Of course, if you're not a Christian, this doesn't pertain to you. But one practice of prayer is to look within you and see where you fall short and then repent of that thing. If you have a spouse, they can do this for you. But I can, I can hide my faults pretty easily in front of my coworkers. I can hide my faults pretty easily in front of my friends. I cannot hide my faults easily in front of my spouse. I asked Joanna in the first service, I said, Joanna, what is my biggest fault? And she didn't say anything, not because I don't have any, but because she's an awesome wife and didn't want to embarrass me. But what I'll say is that I struggle with gentleness. I do. She knows it. I know it. God knows it. There's no secret in that. So here's what I pray. I ask God to make me more gentle. Just as he has a heart of gentleness, so I want a heart of gentleness. And if Jesus lives within me, then I can have a heart of gentleness. Of course, we will always fall short when we measure up to Jesus and see if we look like him. But if we fix the gaze of our soul into the face of Christ, we will, as Paul says, be turned from one degree of glory to the next. And we will be made more and more like Jesus. And I love the wording that Paul uses, one degree. If you want to go 180 degrees, it starts with one, and it takes time. But soon enough, you will be changed from one degree of glory to the next. Point number four, I look around and I ask the Holy Spirit to use me. This is the challenging part of prayer. I challenge you this week to pray, use me. Use me, God. Now, it's great for me to pray for more patience, but how do you think God actually gives you more patience? He doesn't just zap you with patience. He puts you in situations where you have to be patient. And sure enough, this will happen if you pray for this. You'll be late for work and you'll be going and someone will be stopped at a red light and could turn right and they aren't, even though there's no cars coming that way. And you will have the opportunity to be patient or not, right? This is also why I never pray for patience because I I can't afford to do that. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But when I used to play hockey, I used to play this. I said, God, give me, the, give me the energy and I'll do the rest. I used to call it putting feet to my prayers. And A.W. Tozer says this. He says, prayer will become effective when we stop using it as a substitute to act in obedience. And what he means by that is that if you're praying, and the, I'm not saying you shouldn't pray about this. If you're praying for people to be fed, if you're praying for the outcast to be brought in, if you're praying for people to know Jesus and to hear about him, that's great. Continue to pray for it. But then I would challenge you to act upon those prayers. Pray for boldness to share with your coworkers. Pray for boldness to share with your friends. Get involved in the church. Help out those who are needy. Put feet to your prayers. And then you'll see your prayers start to be answered. God calls us to be his, his hands and his feet. So let's show a watching world the glory and the goodness of the Father. Pray, use me this week. And I can guarantee you, without fail, there will be an opportunity to show God's goodness and his glory to a watching world. Point number five, and our, my last point here. Finally, when you pray, remember what you have waiting for you at the end. Hold on to the promises God has given you in his word. I'm going to give you a small list. I only have one of the verses up there, but I'm going to give you a small list of verses to remember and hold on to. Philippians 1, 6 says this, God started the work in you, and he will see it through to completion. Jude 1, all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. 
God is able to keep you from falling away and he will bring you with great joy into his presence without a single fault. Hold on to that. First Corinthians 2, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Philippians 3.20, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. And finally, Hebrews, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to the world to come. Now, if this doesn't stir up emotions in your heart, if the thought of seeing Jesus face to face without sin-hindered eyes, to be welcomed by the Father, if this stirs up nothing in your heart, I plead with you to check where your heart is at. I ask you to check where your heart is at. I say this every time I preach here, but if you could be good with heaven without Jesus, then you've missed what heaven is all about, and you've missed what our entire faith is all about. It's not just a get-out-of-hell free card. It's being invited by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, to sit and dine with him at his table. It's to have our heart's deepest longings be met in the face of Jesus. And guys, it's not always easy to get to a place like that. I struggle with it. I'm sure we've all struggled with it. I struggle with the, the fact my heart doesn't leap at seeing Jesus face to face. It can be a struggle to not get too comfortable in this world. I have a young family. I love Henry. The thought of not being with him is hard, but there's a greater love out there, and that's Jesus. I have to continue to remind myself of Paul's words when he says, soldiers do not get caught up in civilian pursuits. I have to remind myself of that on a daily basis, because I will. Joanna and I have watched the first two seasons of The Chosen. It's a really great show. And I have really appreciated the way that they depict Jesus in the show. His words, the way he treats people, how people are just drawn to him, how he's funny, he's gentle, yet he's also stern with a lot of people. And I'm like, man, he can't be that good, can he? He's not that good, is he? But here's the thing. It's an actor portraying Jesus. The real thing is better. I guarantee you that. I guarantee you that. As John 7 says, anyone who's thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And when he said living waters, he was speaking of the spirit who'd be given to anyone believing in him. Come and drink from the source of life. And Jesus just doesn't want you to sip. He wants you to gulp. We all know what it's like to be super thirsty and get a cold glass of refreshing water. That is what Jesus is offering to your soul at any point. To have your deepest longings met in everything that he is, and it surpasses anything that there is in this world. And I plead with you guys, as I plead with myself, to drink deeply and walk with him. The five dimensions. Look back to the cross. Remember what God has done for you. Remember where you were at and what God did. He made the first move when we were rebellious and didn't want anything with him. He gave his son to take our sin upon himself, and we are given the sonship of Jesus. We stand perfectly justified before the Father. And we will stand in the courtroom one day, and our sins will come before us, and we will see how guilty we actually are. But we will be pronounced not guilty, and it will be the greatest thing you guys ever experience. Look backwards to the cross. Look upwards to the Father's loving face. Some of you maybe didn't have great dads, but this dad is the best. He loves you. He's for you. He likes you. Every time you pray this week, start with Father. Know that he is for you. 
point number three. Someone say it for me. Someone say it for me. Look at, look at back at your life. Or look at Jesus living in you, right? Make your life count. <laughs> look at Jesus. Look inward at Jesus in you, right? Jesus lives within you. And he can change your heart. He can change you from one degree of, degree of glory to the next, making you look more and more like him. Point number four, ask the Holy Spirit to use you. And he will. Challenge yourself in prayer and see what it's like to be God's hands and his feet. And point number five, remember what we have waiting for us. Strive for the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I guarantee you, you will not regret whatever you have to sacrifice here for that. I promise you. If I'm wrong, I will make it up, but I promise you it will be worth it. Okay? I'm going to pray. I hope that this week you guys will try at least one of those things. And I hope it gives you a much more enjoyable, much deeper relationship with the Father. Because that's what it's all about. Let's pray. Father, um, yeah, we just thank you for all the good things that you do for us. For all that you are for us. For saving us when we didn't deserve it. For giving us a new heart, giving us a new status as your son or daughter. We thank you that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We thank you that you are for us. We pray this week as we go out that we would be reminded of that each day of what you've done for us. We'd be reminded that you like us and that you love us. We know that Jesus dwells within us and the Holy Spirit empowers us. We look for opportunities to serve you and to be your hands and feet. And finally, we would just rest, rest that there's something so much more waiting for us at the end. I pray these things over this church. I pray it over myself. I pray it for my friends and my family, that they would know you, that they would love you, and that they would walk with you all the days of their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.